Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today we celebrate National Caramel Month with a homemade caramel sauce. Is it worth the time and the effort? We'll also check in with our cookbook challenge recipes from last week, and women on both sides of the pond will talk us through how to set the perfect tea time table at home. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, I just baked the perfect cake to go with our fall festival theme I wanted to tell you about. Ooh, say more. It is a pumpkin apple streusel cake, and I really think it will appeal to you as a one-bowl cake lover. I'm liking it already. (laughs) It uses a springform pan. That's the one maybe kind of unusual thing. But if you're a cheesecake maker, I'm, I'm betting you have that piece of equipment. And it is a fairly simple pumpkin cake. You cream some butter with sour cream, egg, and the pumpkin puree. You make a very simple streusel, which is softened butter, sugar, brown sugar, and flour. And then you have your lovely apple spices, apple fall time spices, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, ginger. And then you saute some uh, apple in butter and that's going to be your topping so it's just that batter into the pan the sauteed apples on top and then sprinkle with the streusel oh yeah it is so good it just my house just smells like fall right now I am loving it oh yes you're gonna have to post this recipe please I would love to try this this is an old recipe from a Bon Appetit in maybe like the late 90s I think so I it just seemed to hit all of our fall festival celebrations with the apple and the pumpkin and it kind of even caramelizes a little bit with the streusel-y topping Mm. so yeah I will post that one it's really good and the through the magic of podcasting because we are eight hours different after we finish recording I am going to go have dinner and my my cake so I have that to look forward (laughs) to (laughs) I'm so so jealous Mm. My um, thing that I'm sharing this week is not baking related, but I did see a movie that I would love to recommend. It is only on Netflix, um, and uh, it is with Jane Fonda and Robert Redford, and it is called Our Souls at Night. And I just loved it for a couple of reasons. Um, First of all, I was listening to an interview on the radio with Jane Fonda and Robert Redford, and they were talking about how they worked together 50 years ago in Barefoot in the Park, and now they're doing this movie now. Yes, that's the one I immediately thought of. Yes. Yeah, that's the one I think a lot of people remember, you know, where they were young newlyweds in New York City and just kind of their chemistry. And um, so it's just fun to see them reunited. Um, but as I was listening to the interview when they were talking about the um, new movie that they're in, I hadn't heard the title of the movie yet. And as they were, you know, being interviewed and talking about the storyline, I thought, wow, that sounds like one of my favorite novels by Kent Haruff called Our Souls at Night. And then they got to the end of the interview and said, well, check out Our Souls at Night. <laughs> so I knew I had to see it because I thought, okay, two of my favorite actors, um, one of my favorite books, and it just sounds like my perfect kind of Sunday afternoon fall movie, which is no violence, 
um, no cursing, no, you know, no bad things happening to good people. Um, I right. mean, there were there there was still their great characters and their regular people. So you know, bad things do happen because it is real life. But it happens in more of a, a touching and poignant way than in a you know rip your heart out kind of way. So if you have Netflix, I highly recommend that you curl up with a blanket on a fall afternoon and watch Our Souls at Night and let me know what you think. That sounds so nice. I might mention if you have Netflix in the U.S. I don't think that is here. I will have to look if it's here. The licensing is just weirdly different, uh, which sometimes can be to my benefit. I get things that I know aren't on the U.S. Netflix, but I will will take a look. Robert Redford stars in one of my all-time favorite movies. No shame to say this. Uh, it's called Spy Game, and it also stars Brad Pitt. It is one of my top ten movies. Oh. I love that movie. Although it has violence and other things, but it's still great. <laughs> I'm going to have to I check know. that one out. Well, Andrea, this month in celebration of National Cookbook Month in the States, we both challenged ourselves to a cookbook recipe that we had not made before. And mine was a Victoria sponge from a cookbook called Lucy's Bakes. And the challenging part of this recipe is that there were no uh, actual measurements. It was all about weight and proportion. So I weighed my eggs in the shell, and then I weighed out an equal amount of flour and sugar, and half that amount of a combination of butter and margarine, added a little bit of water, and that was it. So it was really interesting. It was, so my eggs, in case anyone is um, cares to know, everyone's will be a little bit different, but my eggs happened to weigh 247 grams, so that meant mm-hmm. I used the same amount of flour and sugar and about 123 grams of the butter and margarine, and... Um, So a Victoria sponge is a classic English tea time treat, and it is a sponge cake, so a a vanilla-ish cake uh, layered with raspberry jam, and you can serve it with cream in the middle. Some people put cream with that jam in the middle, and some people serve it on top. I whipped it and served it on top. It is the rare cake, I believe, that is both quite easy but also very show-stopping when you have it out. It's it's, – just gorgeous with the white and the red, and um, it really is visually very appealing. Mm. I got, you know, in fact, I think that weighing the items was actually a little bit faster and cleaner, need I say? You didn't have all of those teaspoons and measuring cups and all of this. It was just I was using my kitchen scale, so I really loved that too. But here's the issue I had. It was dry. It was a dry sponge. And I could just hear Mary Berry saying to me, it's a dry sponge. It's a dry sponge. (laughs) You're eliminated. So so here I did a little research about why that might have happened. And it's – here's what I turned up. Sponges are dry for a couple of reasons. Too much baking powder. Well, there was no leavening in this, so it's not that. Too long a bake time. Well, I did it for exactly what the – cookbook had specified and it's a British cookbook so I knew that my I wasn't trying to convert from Fahrenheit to Celsius and it specified for a fan oven which I have now so I think that was that was all right too and the final biggest reason is there's too many dry ingredients and not enough moisture but that doesn't really make sense to me either since I weighed 
everything. My proportions were right on. You know, if I if I would have done with a measuring cup, I can see where there could be just enough margin for error. But since I weighed everything, yeah. so this is a this is a mystery. Um, it was gorgeous. My daughter is obsessed mm. with Queen Victoria, and so she loved it. <laughs> oh, nice. The flavor was good. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was simple. But and it, then I had the thought that it might, the leftovers might soften up overnight because I still yeah. had the jam. And what I did is I put the uh, leftover cream, then I just pried the cake open, put the cream there on the jam, and I thought, you know, this is going to soak mm-hmm. that up and the moisture problem won't be an issue anymore. But that didn't do it either. So I would love to know from listeners if you have made this cake or just a traditional sponge cake, what might have happened here? Because it's easy, beautiful. It, it ticks all these boxes. I want it to taste excellent. So Right. And yes. so what, it's like what can you do differently next time to have it not be dry? Exactly. Yeah, I have never made a sponge cake. So listeners, we're counting on you. <laughs> we need <Please>. your help. <laughs> Please do. Mary Berry, if you're listening, why was my sponge so dry? <laughs> so tell me how your Valencia orange cake went, Andrea. It was really interesting. I'll tell you a little bit about why I picked this cake. About, gosh, 15, 16 years ago, I had dinner at a friend of mine's house. And I remember that evening she told me she didn't like the taste of butter. Now, this confused me. <laughs> what? <laughs> because I am, a, I am of the butter makes everything better uh, philosophy. But, you know, she just talked about how she has never liked it. And she had a recipe on her counter, and it was for an orange cake made without butter, and it used olive oil. And she told me she was going to try and make that. Well, so apparently I stored that in some back recess of my mind. Um, But it never appealed to me to make that cake because I thought, I don't want olive oil flavor in my cake. And maybe that's because I tend to buy olive oils based on their flavor, like I can taste the olive. So um, it never, you know, occurred to me to make that. But now that I have the friend that is gluten-free and dairy-free, I'm often on the lookout for things that are naturally gluten-free and dairy-free. And so one day it occurred to me, I thought, oh, I remember that my friend Mary doesn't like butter and she was going to make that um, Valencia orange cake with olive oil. I wonder if it's dairy-free. And so I went and um, I had this Italian baker cookbook from the library and I was flipping through it and there was the Valencia orange cake and I looked through it and lo and behold, not only is it dairy-free, there is, um, you know, no butter in it. There's no olive oil in it. So that solved my other problem. And um, it uses ground almonds instead of flour. So it's gluten-free. Right. And so this ticked all of my boxes. I was super excited. Um, It is uh, very easy to make. It did require a springform pan, which I was quite certain I had somewhere in my house. And after two days of looking, I finally just gave up and went and bought it. Oh, no. I could not find it anywhere. I know I have. Oh, no. I couldn't put my fingers on it. Um, But other than that, everything I had, of course, I couldn't find Valencia oranges, but I used Cava Cava, which I love Mm -hmm. the flavor of, and those are really good. And so you make an orange syrup, kind of similar to with our lemon drizzle cake, although this one um, is heated on the stove. And so it's the orange juice from the Valencia orange and the 
caster sugar, which to remind me again what caster sugar is, I just used regular sugar. So caster would be more like what we consider um, granulated, but it's a little bit even finer ground than okay. that. But that's, I'm, that's what I'm using as granulated okay. sugar. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I misspoke. So the orange syrup is not heated on the stove. It's it's just like in our lemon drizzle. You just do the orange and the caster sugar and, and get that all nice and, and melted. Okay, yeah. right. Um, but then heated on the stove are the juice from the juice and the pulp from three oranges that you whiz up in your um, Vitamix and you just do it with water on the stove and this is the only part part where I got nervous um, oranges heating on the stove for 20 minutes is not a good smell really and so oh. no I mean you would kind of think it is but think about it think about like boiling orange juice I mean it's just mm. not it, it had a really weird mm. smell but when I tasted it it tasted okay but you know I just I was kind of okay. like okay this is making me nervous and then the actual cake mixture is, you know, the eggs, the honey, and then you fold in the ground almonds and the baking powder. And then that orange mixture, you bake it in the oven, and then you stab it, and you pour the syrup on top, just like with our lemon drizzle. Your favorite stabbing uh, technique there. I, yes. I, I really can <laughs> recommend that as getting a lot of aggression out. It's really quite quite relaxing right. to stab your pastries. Um, so anyway, it came out of the oven. It's I think it's quite beautiful. I mean, it's just a one-layer cake in a springform pan, but because of the almonds, it's got, um, you know, all of that sort of, I don't know even what to call it, almost a flecked look, you know, like little flecks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just thought that was really pretty. I thought it was a little plain. They did suggest serving it with some creme fraiche, which I couldn't do for my friend who's dairy-free, but I did sprinkle it with confectioner's sugar, and I thought that was really good. Um, It tasted delicious. It kind of reminded me, though, of banana nut bread, but with oranges instead of bananas. Oh, interesting, because of the nuts, right. I think yes. so. Yeah, I think when it came down to it, that's what it was. So I I did like it. I think it's a great option for anyone who wants to do a gluten-free, dairy-free. It's very dense. I ended up putting it on a paper plate because I was giving it to a friend of mine, and I ended up, I had to double like three or four paper plates because it was so heavy. Right. Which okay. I thought, you know, I mean, it uses the pulp of three whole big oranges. So, I mean, it's, it's a heavy cake. Okay. And um, I just think it's a nice option option it's very different it's I wouldn't call it light in terms of weight but it it felt light in terms of flavor you know it's not rich and decadent it's 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 just more of a a light sort of loaf cake but baked in a springform pan so nice and circular and now you may have two of those if you can (laughs) (laughs) well when I was in college I had a cheesecake obsession and I made a cheesecake every day know. you know for I think a year and so then I took a long cheesecake break and then I know about <laughs> I know about a year or two ago I rebought a cheesecake pan and so it is somewhere I'm going to find it at some point mm-hmm. I recommend moving to London you will find things that you <laughs> Isn't that true? We'll be amazed. You have amazed. to move. It you is. have it to is. move to find things in certain areas of your house that you would never never otherwise find. Well, there's worse things to have than two springform pans, so I think you'll be fine. Well, awesome. So both of those recipes are up uh, with links on uh, the show notes for uh, episode 48 and 49, uh, which was when we introed that, and then, and then today's show, episode 49. And we are going to move on into our celebration of Caramel Month. October just keeps on giving. (laughs) And introduce a homemade caramel from a blog, um, Avery Cooks. 
Andrea, have you, are you a caramel lover? Have you made your own caramel? I know you have in the past talked about Fran's caramel, which is a great uh, store-bought option. Have you made this yourself? I love caramel more than life itself. I think <laughs> it's amazing. I have made caramel myself, but again, I think possibly nestled in the missing spring form pan is my candy thermometer. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yes. I also can't find that, and I'm convinced it's somewhere in the house. So I haven't made caramel in a couple of years, but I did go through a period where I made it quite often, and I, I just really enjoyed kind of the um, science and magic of it. It's, it's a fun thing to make. Yeah, so homemade caramel is essentially just melting down sugar, adding in some cream. Some recipes have butter. This one does not. And the the nice thing about this, too, is that it has a very strong vanilla and then a salted component as well. So, Andrea, I am looking forward to using the uh, Victoria, excuse me, Vancouver Island sea salt that you were so nice to send. And that's going to be perfect in this, I think. Yes, I picked that up on my bike trip, and I love using that sea salt. I, I, I like to pretend that I can taste it. I'm not sure if I really can, but I think it's really good. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of flakier almost. I mean, it mm-hmm. just has a really nice texture, so I think it's going to go well in this caramel. One thing that I liked about this recipe, she right up front says, when you're making caramel, you're making caramel. So put your hair up, turn your phone off, make sure the kids are doing something, don't answer the door, you're making caramel. So she stresses, and I'd like to stress also, that it can go from a very light brown amber color to burnt in no time Mm -hmm. flat. Mm -hmm. So take that warning seriously and really watch yourself. Likewise, we've we've said before when dealing with with melted sugar, boiling sugar, you want to be very careful uh, as far as as kitchen safety, as far as not uh, burning yourself, making sure you know you've got your apron on, maybe long sleeves, all of that. Take it take it seriously and um, then yeah, see what happens. It is a lot of kitchen chemistry here. We are big-time caramel fans. Um, well, most of us. My son, not so much. My daughter's really into salted caramel right now, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to having a good go-to recipe for for just a good good caramel sauce. So excited about yeah. this one. I think the other thing I'll throw in from the safety perspective is make sure your pan is big enough. So a lot of times I'll be judging my pan based on the size of the ingredients as I'm putting them in. But remember that caramel bubbles up and what you don't want to have happen is have it bubble up and bubble over. So you want to definitely get a pan that's maybe a little bit bigger than you anticipate needing just for safety's sake. And it bubbles up pretty violently, so you want to just be prepared for that. It's not, it's an, it's not a little gentle bubble. It's like, <laughs> yes, so. so true, absolutely. All right. Well, that link will be up on uh, preheatedpodcast.com as well as in the show notes, uh, episode forty nine, and Pinterest too. So lots of places to find that. We'll put it on Facebook too. Too. Well, Andrea, we uh, have talked. I am so feeling so lucky to be living in London and having this variety of options for taking tea and uh, all the different tea rooms uh, that are around just casually, more fancy. Uh, But you and I talked about what about the home baker who might like to do a tea for just for a few friends, for a larger crowd. And so you did a wonderful interview with Mimi Randall of Splendid Cakes and Catering in Plymouth, Minnesota. So listeners, we invite you to sit back, relax, and listen to that interview. 
Next up, please help me welcome Mimi Randall. Mimi is my sister-in-law. She lives in Plymouth, Minnesota, and she is an amazing baker and caterer, and I'm so glad to have her here today. Hi, Mimi. Well, hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here with us. Um, why don't you start out and tell us a little bit about how you got started baking and uh, catering and you know what your life is like and when you fit it into your what I know is your incredibly busy schedule. Okay. Well, that's a good question. So in 2006, I got married and I have always had this kind of love for, for, for cupcakes. And I found a gal, Firefly Desserts in Seattle. She had another friend of hers and they had this business together. And I thought, oh my gosh, that would be, what a, what a great idea to do something you absolutely love doing yeah. and make a business out of it. And she didn't have a storefront. She just worked out of a commercial kitchen. And um, I was just really impressed. And they were very talented. And and so then I hired her um, and her partner for my wedding. And they did our cupcakes. And they were beautiful. And they were delicious. And then... They, I can guarantee they were beautiful and delicious. I probably had about 10. <laughs> yep, we're there. <laughs> yeah. and, just, and they just did other things, too. Other than cupcakes, they did... I don't know if you remember the popcorn they made, the caramel corn. and Oh, yeah. yeah. I they, forgot about that. A lot of little skills. And I just thought, you know what? What a neat thing to do. You know, if you have something you enjoy doing, you have a passion about it, and who doesn't love to eat, um, you know, just make a business of it. So I decided after that, I um, just kind of got some ideas together, got a name for a business, and um, I, I threw one together, just sort of a amateur um, you know, home business and it kind of turned into something more. And, and so then from there, I just have been more or less a hobby because I do work in retail one day a week and I'm a full-time mom, but I do enjoy, for some reason, baking is therapy for me and I enjoy being creative and I kind of amaze myself not to, you know, make myself sound so great, but I sometimes amaze myself and what I can come up with. And, and, and I, you know, I, I don't realize that I have that talent. But then again, it comes through when I'm, you know, done baking and I decorate and, and there's the final product. Well, that is definitely what we saw that it was so funny. But um, Stefan and I were talking about her being out in London and going out to places and having tea. And then she said something about wouldn't it be fun if we could figure out how to recreate this at home since you can't do it. And I think that same day I got the pictures from the tea that you catered and I was so blown away. Yeah, that was, that was quite a, that was quite a, you know, event. And I, it was, it was elaborate. So tell me, um, it looked to me like you had, I don't know, maybe like eight or 10 different dishes. Like tell me how you decided what to serve at a tea party. Okay. Well, the initial idea came when my mother-in-law Alice approached me and said, um, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be hosting a, a tea party. And she's done this in past years. This is not the first tea party she's done, but she's usually just hired out or even, you know, worked with her girlfriend and, and did it together. But this year was special because I think this was going to be one of the last ones they were going to do. So they kind of oh, okay. do a real nice one, real fancy. Yeah. One. And so she asked me if I would be interested in doing it. And I thought at first, well, well, sure. Why not? I've never done one before, but why not? You know, <laughs> you you don't let that stop you. That's what I love about you so much, I just, Mimi. I just take so many challenge. people would be so afraid, well, and you're just like, sure, I'll figure it out. I kind of I don't know what it is, but I I kind of do well under pressure sometimes. I, yeah, I, I stress myself out immensely, but I feel <laughs> like that 
is kind of like a game I play with myself. So I, I yeah. sure I'll, I'll do this. And I didn't know the first thing. I mean, because my specialty is cupcakes and cakes and cookies. I've yeah. never, and, and when we do have family and friends over, I do enjoy putting on a big show and, and, you know, making these meals and making these. Oh yeah. You do the whole thing, the whole spread. I, do, I enjoy that. And so I thought, well, I'll just do it on a larger scale. So I, I took the challenge and I um, I did some research and basically my research was Pinterest. I don't know what I would do with that. Oh yeah. And I yeah. So I I I got a lot of my ideas from Pinterest. I ran them by my mother in law. She loved them and and then I just kind of put them all together. Now of course there's challenges along with that too because again I've never done one. I didn't realize time constraints. I didn't know what I was going to do first. So um, I did run into some hiccups, but uh, eventually it, it all came together. So that was the end result. Well, what was the hardest thing um, or the, the most difficult thing to put together? Well, there's a couple things. So the first thing was I, I always do this, and I'm sure my family can vouch for this. I'm not really good with planning, like time. I always think that I have more time than I really do. Right. And so I thought, okay, so the, the he was on a Wednesday. Um, so I had basically Monday and two, well, I had been planning prior to this, but Monday was going to be my, my free day. Why? I don't know. Cause I could have used Monday. Definitely looking back on it. Tuesday, <laughs> I decided to go grocery shopping at noon on Tuesday and everything, everything I needed for the tea party. And then I started baking. I did the baking first. I thought the baking is, you know, it's yeah. not as perishable as the, the rest of the food. So I did the baking first. Yeah, good point. And in with the baking, there was the challenge because the tea party was sort of centered around this raspberry almond cake that I made, which ended up being fabulous. But it was a little bit stressful in the making of it because the recipe wanted me to take fresh raspberries and puree, um, puree them. And then put the put the uh, raspberry puree through a sieve to get. I hate I hate yeah. doing that. Oh, it's so hard. Ever it takes forever. And then you and then you add it into the almond buttercream, right? So you have that natural color from the raspberries. Yeah. Well, after I did all that, and then I tasted the frosting, it did not taste good at all. I thought, oh my oh, gosh, no. now what? So I kind of panicked, and I ran to the grocery store, and I did my backup plan, which was a trusty old raspberry pie filling in a can. Yeah. Well, you know, it worked. It works. It works. It works. It worked. It wasn't what I intended to do because I wanted it to be all fresh, but it's still raspberries and it actually had a better flavor and it worked really <laughs> well. So I was really, I was that, that took some of the anxiety away from that cake. Oh, but, so it was the, it was the not giving myself enough time. Yeah. Uh, for the shopping, the baking, and the cooking, because I, again, I was doing this all by myself. I did have my neighbor friend come in and help the day of, too, because there was no way I could put all this like together without an extra hand, because it was oh yeah, it was a lot more than I thought. Now I know, but so the challenges were the planning, and then room for error on you know the baking part when you have a yeah change in plan. So, well, that, you know, I think that's part of the reason why you're such a good cook and you, 
again, you probably don't know this because you just assume other people do this, but I don't think they do. Like when you faced a challenge and you tasted it and it tasted bad, you didn't give up. You didn't just like throw it all away and say, okay, well, there's not going to be a cake. It's like you ra- you rallied, you know? <laughs> Andrew, I couldn't listen. The next day was the tea party of 30 ladies that were coming to this tea. I had a, I couldn't disappoint. I had a, I had a company no. a choice. I know. Was was any did any of the dishes turn out to be like a lot easier than you thought they would be or something that like you could tell our listeners like if you have to serve something to 30 people here's something that was actually so easy to make in a you know a big scale. Okay, so this is what okay, so what I thought was going to be easiest ended up being the most challenging um, because it was time consuming and it was yeah. it was um stuffed cherry tomatoes. So they're you know cherry tomatoes are delicate, they're small. And then you have to core them and then you have to fill them. And I thought, oh, it'll be easy. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to take the pastry bag and fill it with my, you know, with my, um, I did it with goat cheese and garlic and herbs Yeah. and it'd be really easy. Um, But the time consuming part was cutting into each one of those little guys and, and coring them out was the hard. Yeah. That took a long time. Um, Yeah. I had a dish once I remember I had to cut grapes in half and I think I did about 12 of them before I said this is I'm not going to do this it's too much work. But they were so good and they were so worth it. Um and then you know surprisingly what ends up happening is you can use a lot of your so a lot of the fillings I made I did um some radish chai tea sandwiches that had like an asian flair to them which were really good they were made with ginger and sesame oil and Oh yummy. Yeah and with butter and 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 so then when you take a lot of those um, fillings, like I had the goat cheese with garlic and herbs, and um, you know you can kind of take those fillings and then kind of create other little finger sandwiches with it. So that's kind of what we what I did was I was able to make create more from what I had. Oh, um, that's a good idea. Yeah, so you weren't making so many different things. You were like reusing things in different, in different ways. Different ways, exactly. I was kind of making you know I would put some on a cucumber, but then I would put some on a little you know a little tea bread. So, yeah, so so smart. Kiss. Um, What what do you think the guests like the most? Like what either, you know, totally disappeared or people were just like raving about and saying, oh, my God, this is so incredible. Okay, so this is really good. And I'm going to make this again. It was a chicken salad on apple slices. Oh, like the chicken salad, like in a tiny little scoop on top of the apple slice. Yeah. So it was you you make it, you know, you can make your own chicken salad however you like it. I actually would I put a little curry in it. Um, I just added a little bit more, um, like I think I put some walnuts in it too and some dried cranberries and just sort of kind of threw some things in there to give it some, some flavor. And then I sliced the, the, uh, apples very thin and then you just scoop, you know, you kind of make your little display on the apple, a little scoop of chicken salad and the guests really seemed to like that one. It was refreshing and it wasn't so filling because usually you eat chicken salad with, you know, with a croissant. Or bread. Yeah. And so many people are trying to cut out bread. That's a great idea. It was kind of, it was gluten-free. Love it. So. I love that. All right. Well, I am going to post the pictures that you sent me because I am not kidding. When you sent me these, I immediately sent them to Stefan and she was just like in a state of shock that this was like something you just whipped out from home. So I can't wait for people to see how beautiful, especially that cake. That cake is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Well, so I have that on my LinkedIn file too now. So because I've 
Oh, smart. <laughs> I came up with a, you know, I, I, I wanted to give myself a name. So yeah. I do, you know, I, I do this just for friends and family and word of mouth. It's nothing that I broadcast um, anywhere on yeah. the website yet. Um, but I am going to be calling my little home business Splendid Cakes and Catering. I love it. Yeah, so if you go on LinkedIn oh. under my name, you'll see. On LinkedIn, we can find it, and I will post a link to it in our show notes. And I know we have some listeners in your area, so that'll be cool. They can they can find you and call you, and yeah. Um, so here's our final question: nothing to do with the tea, but just you in specific. If you could only have one dessert for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chocolate chip cookies. Oh. <laughs> Oh, those ones you posted on our Facebook group with the the Malden sea salt. No, those are one of them. That's what the beauty is of this cookie is that they're it's so versatile. You can do any you can make chocolate chip cookies any way you want. You can do milk <sighs> chocolate, dark chocolate. You can just you can do some yeah. peanut butter in there. I mean, it's it would be that would be the that would be the that would be the dessert for me. I love, I love, there's no hesitation. No. You're just like, I know what it is. Chocolate chip cookies. You can eat them raw. You can eat them baked. Oh. You can put them in ice cream. Yeah. It's a win-win. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Mimi. And I'll post our pictures and our show notes and a link to your information. So people, if you're in the Minnesota area and you want to take a look at Mimi's stuff, you can find her. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh, Andrea. Mimi was so delightful and she really, she's felt so comfortable to me and I can see how in a caterer that's that's a very important quality to have as well to be to be calm and confident and, you know, you know, um, taking that stress off your, your hostesses. Um, she's really, she's really touched on catering for, for larger crowds too. Um, yeah. what, a, what a fun mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, she really is willing to try anything, which I admire about her. The other thing that she does that I really admire, and I cannot do this, when when I am finished with dinner and I clean the kitchen, I literally shut my kitchen down. And in fact, I get angry if, if like, my daughter wants a snack at 9 or 9.30 or my husband wants something that's like, ah, you know, the kitchen is closed. Yes. She will go into the kitchen at 9 or 10 at night and start baking. And she can bake, you know, up through midnight. And, you know, and I mean, she just loves doing it. it. And it's so easy for her. And that's kind of one of the things I touched on in that interview. I don't think she realizes what a special quality that is. So I'll also post a list of the actual menu of the tea that she did. She touched on some of the items, but looking here at the menu, she has the chicken salad on apple slices that she talked about. She did some radish chive tea sandwiches, some assorted tea sandwiches, some cucumber bites with smoked salmon, those goat cheese and herb stuffed tomatoes, which turned out to be a lot of work. Right, (laughs) Um, yes. And then the desserts, there was that raspberry almond layer cake, which I loved hearing about how it didn't turn out at at first and how she rallied and saved it. Um, Some lemon shortbread cookies, some mini chocolate cupcakes, which were gluten-free, some pecan tea cookies, and some French madeleines. I want to go to this tea party. (laughs) (laughs) When I was getting these photos, I was like, why am I not in Minnesota? How can I participate in this event? 
<laughs> I thought it was really interesting just from an entrepreneur standpoint that her biggest issue was time management, which of course you have, I mean, listen yes. to that menu, listen to it. I mean, I of course there's things you can do ahead, but there are things that you just, you just need to be doing like right up at the last minute. And um, it, it just, it's a beautiful, gorgeous tea that she prepared. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you, Mimi, for being a guest. Uh, I wanted to talk just briefly then about um, folks who might be wanting to do a tea themselves. And Mimi had mentioned in the interview that she um, got a lot of ideas from Pinterest. And of course, there's just so much good stuff to be had. Um, In honor of National Cookbook Month, I thought I would recommend three cookbooks that I like and that I turn to for tea uh, suggestions. And the first is the very aptly named Tea Party by Tracy Stern. This is a one-stop shop for themed parties. So she's got 20 themed parties, uh, you know, from baby showers to Mother's Day to a classic English tea, children's birthdays. It's a gorgeous book. It has gorgeous photography. And she also has suggestions for your music, decorations, invites, kind of everything you can oh think of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, party like, the package. I love totally. that. Yeah, it's a great book. I'm pretty sure it's still out there. You see it. You see it a lot. And I love it. I've used um, – I've mixed and matched. That's the other thing you can do with this book. And so my daughter a few years ago had a, had a tea party for her birthday, and we mixed and matched some sandwiches, some cakes, and it was it was great. She touches on something that Mimi mentioned as well, that when you're doing a tea for a larger group, you'll often bring in a hot food or a larger a larger serving of something mm-hmm. like a salad or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even uh, there's some in this book that are like grilled lamb chops, something like that. So not just your sweet necessarily, but larger servings, along with something like a big cake or a big pie that you would then serve, not have as mm-hmm. finger Um, finger size so Mm -hmm. that's the tea party by Tracy Stern Uh, one of the ones that I just have received is of course a UK classic is Mary Berry Cooks and Mary has a whole section called afternoon tea with a full a full page devoted just to sandwich filling so (laughs) thank you Mary got it all She has one more traditional sample menu, uh, but the whole section itself is full of um, tray bakes, loaf cakes, larger cakes, you know, chicken salad, savory, all that stuff. So that's another great resource. And then finally, I would be remiss if during National Cookbook Month, I didn't mention one of my very favorites. I've given it airtime in the past. It's the Better Homes and Gardens Holiday Cookbook from 1959. I dearly love it. I collect this series, actually, and you can find them uh, in lots of antique stores have them or used bookstores. I think it was a really popular series at the time. So if you're interested, um, my favorite sugar cookie recipe comes from this cookbook. It's still, there's many things that are out of date, but there are enough things that are still relevant that I think it's it's worthwhile. Um, and so I thought it was just interesting that, you know, in the 50s and 60s America, that idea of a tea party or a large-scale gathering like that was, I think, more prevalent than it is. I'm happy to see people like Mimi um, bringing it back. Andrea, there is something in that cookbook that I am dying to try, and maybe we can fit it into a challenge somehow. It's called a sandwich loaf. And what it essentially is, is it's a large sandwich slice like a cake so if you think of a you start with a unsliced loaf of bread and then you fill it and then you frost it with like a cream cheese type of frosting and then you slice it like a cake so it's always intrigued me ever since I got this cookbook and but an un but an unsliced loaf of bread wouldn't the 
So you just slice it down the the middle long ways? Like, yes, like horizontally. Mm-hmm. But then that top layer would be so thick. Those two layers would be so thick. Oh, but then you cut it. Then you cut it vertically oh, to serve it. Oh, okay. Yes, oh, yes, yes. And in fact, I think you trim the crust off so it doesn't have like a thick oh, top okay. crust. And we're talking, we're ta- you know, like make no mistake, it's 1959. We're talking about a uh, white bread here. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> We're, we're talking about Wonder <laughs> yeah. Bread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So those are three to try. And, you know, um, I think then also when you think of just your kind of classic English tea time, um, you think of that tiered cake stand. And so what's normally on that would be a layer of sandwiches. And Mimi talked about some too, like a chicken mm-hmm. salad, butter and radish. Um, yep. You know, your crusts are off. You have different breads. Uh, then you have a layer of cakes, small cakes, like chocolate carrot cake, things that you can pick up, though. Okay. And then finally, a layer of scones or tea cakes or like a crumpet. A tea cake is actually a yeasted roll that um, is served with butter, absolutely, but is filled with like dried fruit and then like cinnamon or nutmeggy mm. flavor, too. So Ooh. good resources I like for that. There's a blog called The English Kitchen, and the woman who runs that blog is called Marie. She's a Canadian expat. She lives in England now. She has a lot of great recipes. And then BBC's Good Food. They have an entire section on throwing a perfect tea party, including a recipe for donut muffins. Oh. Andrea, preheated oh once again. Gosh. Here we are, blazing a trail once I again. Know. Yeah, are, so those are just some more tips. Are, are donuts big in England? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. In fact, when I lived in England um, back in the 90s, my roommate and I, shout out, hi Dimple, I hope you're listening, we would go across the street to a bakery and get something called a jam donut a little too frequently. So <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what it sounds like. It's a cake donut filled with, with raspberry jam. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. That sounds mm-hmm. like something that would be a great way to start the day. So. Mm, yeah, maybe maybe not as often as we start at the day, but you know. <laughs> well, Stefan, you'll be you'll be very proud of me. In honor of this episode, I made myself a cup of hot tea before we started recording, so I am drinking oh. the um, Good Earth Orange Sweet and Spicy, and I have to say, it's quite delightful. I am enjoying it. So, have you never had that tea? Oh, that's one of my very favorite teas. Yes, it is so good. Oh. It is really good. I think it's pretty caffeinated too, but they also make a decaf version, I think. Oh, so, okay. Well, um, I'm not looking yeah. to decaf. <laughs> I just thought I'd no, try something not, different. No, not in your time zone, you're not. Yeah. No. <laughs> just thought I'd try something a little bit different than coffee um, as we were having our tea talk. You also used a phrase that now is stuck in my head and I think would be a, a lovely name for a cookbook, tray bakes and loaf cakes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the first preheated cookbook. You heard it here first. I love it. I wanted to tell you really quickly too, you had in another episode, you had wondered about clotted cream. And so I wanted to tell you what that was. It's always on an English tea time table. So you have your scone with that and butter and jam. And so it's unpasteurized, full-fat cow milk yes. that they heat it until the cream rises to the top. They skim off the cream and then they chill it and serve it. So unpasteurized milk is not as prevalent, I think, in the States as it is here. It's not a big deal that stuff isn't pasteurized right, in England right. uh, or in Europe. 
and maybe it is something about the fact that it's unpasteurized that allows that mm. that cream to really rise or you could maybe try it with pasteurized milk if you wanted to, I, to try I to make knew, that but, um, I knew as soon as you used the phrase clotted cream that I would have to try it just as I knew when I saw the bottle of salad cream that I would not like to try it so <laughs> it, it's just amazing how one word difference can cause such a different reaction <laughs> And how many people would say that salad was the more appetizing word than clotted, but not Andrea Ballard? So No, indeed not. Indeed not. Clotted cream, oh, no. Oh, no. here I come. I am very excited about that. That is awesome. Well, um, listeners, we hope that we've given you lots of suggestions for parties big and small. And of course, we would love to see pictures of your tea parties and uh, post those to our Facebook group and let us know. Um, if you have other resources also, always great to know that. And and then uh, any any tea parties you might be hosting. Yes, it'd be so fun to see what everyone else is doing for tea time. Well, Andrea, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week for a sweet bonus episode in which we'll review our caramel sauce and award our coveted blue ribbon to the October treat we loved the best. We'll also talk about some spooktacular Halloween sweets. I couldn't let October go by without saying spooktacular at least once. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and go ahead and download us on Google and Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.